This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everybody, it's Trags. And this week on episode six of Jungle Roar, a Cincy football podcast, we'll talk about whether the risk is worth the reward of putting quarterback Joe Burrow out on the field in the final preseason game this Sunday against the Miami Dolphins, the drops of Jamar Chase in preseason game number two, and the actual good sign, we think, of depth on the Bengal roster. Today, I welcome Jake Lisko of the Locked On Bengals podcast, the only daily Bengals podcast. Jake, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. I'm excited to talk with one of the new Bengals beat writers. New to yes. the beat, excited for your contributions. I am. Uh, I appreciate that, Jake. Uh, I'm certainly uh, excited to uh, come back home. I, I think everybody knows by now, uh, Indian Hill native, went to Indian Hill High School moons ago. Let's put it this way. This is the 40th anniversary of, of course, the 1981 AFC Championship Bengals. And I was in high school at Indian Hill at the time. A freshman, I might add, but I was in high school at the time. So certainly grew up with the tradition of uh, great Bengals football from the 70s and 80s. And now with the opportunity after the last 25 years of talking about the New England Patriots, covering Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, getting the opportunity to talk Bengals uh, is a new adventure. Let's put it that way. And speaking of adventure, Jake, um, should Joe Burrow step on the field Sunday against the Miami Dolphins? Your your take? Well, my, my position on this has always been that I don't think there's really any reason for it. I know he really would like to do it. And I guess that would be the reason. Like if it were me and Joe Burrow were coming to me and saying, hey, Jake, I want to play in this preseason game. Right. I don't think I could tell Joe Burrow no, because um, I I just feel like uh, doubting the guy or, or, or trying to go against the guy is, is kind of betting poorly at this point he just the, the confidence is really something that's very easy for me to buy it seems very well earned at the same time he's not asking me and i don't have to tell him no i can just opine about it from the outside and it's still not worth it to me maybe if i felt better about the offensive line i wouldn't mind sticking him out there for a series letting him hand the ball off a couple times and getting him out of there Sorry, not a couple series. It would be one series. That right. that's the most I would do. But so, but no, I wouldn't do it. Let me ask you a question, Mike. Yes, in response. Please do. You covered Tom Brady for a very long time. Yes. People like to say that if Joe Burrow goes well, that Tom Brady is the upside. Would you play Tom Brady in this preseason game? Um, in 2009, he did play in the preseason. And it was for the specific purpose of getting his timing down so that he could feel comfortable once he stepped back on the field for uh, the 2009 season opener. Uh, I think it's the similar thing with Joe Burrow. I think the only reason Joe Burrow wants to step foot on that field on Sunday against Miami is to get shake off whatever mental rust he has. This isn't about the physical rust. Cause I asked, um, 
you know, the head coach, Zach Taylor, uh, on Sunday, whether or not uh, he needs to see anything more from Joe Burrow or Trey Hopkins, for that matter, who would be presumably snapping him the ball on September 12th against the Vikings. Does he need to see anything more? And he said, absolutely not. We've seen everything we need to see from Joe to know that he's ready to play in a football game. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, so that's leaning towards the, the thinking that you're not going to let him play on Sunday against Miami. But then uh, he adds in the fact that there are other voices in the room, like ownership, like Duke Tobin, uh, the, obviously the director of player personnel for the Bengals. And it started me thinking when he throws in the, the name or the uh, group ownership, and he's obviously referring to Mike Brown and Katie Blackburn and Troy Blackburn. He's obviously referring to that group. Um, they are they are averse to taking unnecessary risk with their number one asset. And when I started thinking about it in those terms, I'm like, well, this isn't the Patriots. This is um, an ownership group that wants to protect its asset and knows it's been burned in the past, you know, by injuries in the preseason, namely to running backs. Um, you know, we all remember what happened. Uh, help me with the Penn State uh, running back. Kajana Carter. Kajana Carter. Thank also, you. Kenny the, Irons. I mean, there are several. Chris Perry. Yep. Um, the list goes on and on of running backs who have uh, sustained injury uh, in the preseason. I remember the Kajana Carter uh, injury back into Silverdome, if I if I recall, on a terrible turf, uh, and he ripped up his knee. But um, so the family has a history of seeing bad things happen in preseason games to highly regarded assets, which leads me to believe he's not going to play on Sunday. I just wonder how compelling he can be because I think he can be very compelling. It's just a matter of is Mike Brown, you know, he, he recently moved on the ring of honor. His granddaughter, according to him, convinced him that it was the right thing to do. And it was right. something that for a very, very long time fans wanted and were asking for, and he didn't seem to care. Does that mean that Mike Brown is less stubborn? Or does that just mean that his granddaughter is very persuasive? And her, she does have a very impressive resume to her credit, but so does Joe Burrow. Right. And Elizabeth, I actually talked to Elizabeth Blackburn at our uh, media luncheon about that. And she said, well, you know, I'm just trying to be the new fresh voice in the room, which I, I found those words very, very interesting. And I told her, I think, you know, that is one of the things that I think fans are excited about, you know, rule the jungle. Yes, it's another slogan. Yes, it's another marketing campaign. You know, the cynical Bengal fans are going to be like, well, it, it's great to put a new dress, but is it, a, you know, a new dress on, new makeup on, but are you putting it on a pig? And I am of the belief you're not. I think they are they are really trying to genuinely reshape the image of the franchise. And yes, Joe Burrow is the undisputed face of that franchise. And when you talk about a decision like Sunday, yes, a lot more goes into it than just football. Uh, and I understand that. But for Joe, if I want to keep Joe Burrow happy and I want him feeling the best possible way he can feel on September 12th when the games start counting, and if this team has the you know expressed desire of making a playoff run, then I want Joe Burrow to feel comfortable taking a step forward in the pocket and making a pass. One pass where he has to step up, step up in the pocket and throw downfield. That's why Tom Brady played that preseason game in 2009. And that's why if it were me, 
I would allow Joe Burrow to play one series, throw one or two passes, get rid of it quick, just to get that feel, go to the sideline and feel like, okay, I got that out of the way. Now I'm really, really ready. Now, I don't remember, but I feel like Tom Brady missed most of that year. Like his injury happened in week four or thereabouts. Was Tom Brady. Tom Brady got hit by Bernard Pollard in the 2008 season opener. Okay. So, and he missed the, and that was the Matt Castle year. That's when Matt Castle earned his contract with Kansas city um, and, or with Minnesota, I believe it was. I gotta go back and look, but it was, it was early in the year. And do you recall, was it ACL plus other stuff or was it clean ACL? Uh, It was ACL plus uh, the MCL. Okay. So there's a few things there, right? One is a much longer recovery. So one of the points that I've made when discussing whether or not I would be comfortable putting Joe Burrow out there is there are a lot of studies that indicate that the risk of re-injury in return to sport in athletes drops significantly every month you get from surgery until nine months. And the season opener is roughly nine months after the surgery. So from that perspective, from the risk aversion perspective that I think Bengals ownership shares, I'm looking at these studies that exist and I'm thinking, okay, yes, he's done all the strengthening. He's done the right thing in rehab, but there are these studies that say we we should maybe wait until nine months because after nine months, there's no more significant increase in reduction of re-injury. So there's that weighing in my mind. And then when you compare the injuries, Brady and Burrow, different injuries, we think. We think there was additional damage in addition to the two ligaments and the timing of it is quite different, right? Right. Brady having November 22nd months or whatever it was of recovery. So to me, that's uh, that's a lot. Like if Joe Burrow had injured his knee in week one, absolutely. I'm I'm probably fine with it. That's, I guess, three or four more months of recovery. It's two more months. Brady's happened, I think, on September 8th, 2008. And obviously with Burrow, right. it was November 22nd uh, last yeah. year. So Burrow's, you know, advancing the process um, two more years. I mean, two more months, but you're talking about a difference of 13 years and the advances that medical science also and, true. and physical therapy have made are, you know, exponential, right? That's, that's I the would way. not claim to be an expert. I just, I just, my daughter is a physical therapy. My daughter is a physical therapy major at Miami university just down the road. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to say that uh, Joe Burrow has ha- actually does have the benefit of having, you know, that physical therapy advantage of 13 years yeah. uh, over when Brady's injury happened. And, you know, to me, it's a mat. It, it, this is all mental with, with uh, Burrow. And there have been times on the practice field when I've watched him where I do wonder if mentally he's all there, like if he's confident enough, is, is he walking around saying I can make all these throws and he does look strong throwing the ball. I have no problem with that. The problem is when the game speed starts and he's surrounded by bodies trying to get to him in the pocket, Will he stay in the pocket, step up and make the throw he needs to make? Or will he roll out maybe, you know, a half a second too early uh, and, you know, give up on the play and maybe have to make something uh, out of nothing too much? And and the the other bit with this is if it's one preseason drive, how bad is it if it's one drive against the Vikings that counts? Like you lose one drive, maybe if he needs it, right? Maybe, maybe it's fine. Maybe Joe Mixon goes for eight yards on first down. On second down, you take some shot play that gives Joe Burrow a chance to feel a potential rush. 
and then it's low risk because you're in third and two. So like, you know, there's this world where this one preseason drive we're talking about doesn't even matter. That said, if he does go out there for a drive, if they handle it right, like I'm not going to start screaming bloody murder. They're risking the franchise for no good reason. I I can see the reasons to do it. And like I said, if Joe Burrow were asking me, I think he would convince me. It's just uh, I, I happen to share the risk aversion of ownership a little bit on this one. I'm going to read the quote that when I asked uh, Zach Taylor on Sunday about Joe Burrow and, and Trey Hopkins, the center, nothing to see from them. They've shown us enough to know that they, that they're going to be ready to play. It's just a matter of what do we want to do? Do we want to put those guys out there in a preseason game or just give them more rust and get them ready for the Minnesota game? We'll take take a couple of more days before we make that decision since we've got a week here before that game. But again, they've shown me everything on their end that they're capable and ready to go. It's up to the coaches to make that decision. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like they're leaning away from it. But before preseason week two, I thought Joe Burrow was definitely playing in the preseason the way they were talking about it. And now it's kind of shifted the other way. So we'll see. We'll see if Joe Burrow's self-advocacy to play in a game and the plays he's pitched to Callahan and Taylor are compelling enough for them and ownership to decide to let him go out there for a few plays. Speaking with Jake Lisko of Locked On Bengals, the only daily podcast covering your Cincinnati Bengals, does a great job with the one and only James Rapine, who I had on this great podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he speaks very highly of you, Jake, just so you know that. Oh, that's that's great because he he talks a lot of smack when we're recording together. That that's kind of I, our relationship. That kind of actually does sound like him. Uh, he will, um, he will. He's not averse to flipping me off, uh, flipping me the bird when uh, I'm crossing the busy intersection outside Paul Brown Stadium on my way to practice. So um, there is that too. He, he he has that side. And if he's listening to this, and hopefully he has downloaded this particular podcast, he'll know of the incident. Uh, I'm specifically referring to. Um, Let's move on to the uh, next subject, and that is what's been all the rage the last 48 hours uh, or 72 hours after the uh, 17 to 13 loss at FedEx Field to the uh, Washington football team, and that is the drops of Jamar Chase. I think uh, in watching the film and even watching it live, he had two drops. Uh, on, on passes that he probably should have had the one where he slipped on the turf and he was going to catch it pretty much in his bread basket. And, you know, his catch level lowered and it bounced off his shoulder pads, his chest, his shoulder pads, but his off his chest, off the padding, uh, covering his chest plate. I'm not blaming that one on him. Yeah. It seemed like early in that game, Sam Hubbard also had issues keeping his feet on a play. So it looked like maybe, they did have some issues with the turf. Um, I would say that he had three drops. I would say that there were mitigating circumstances around each of the drops. I think that the first one, Brandon Allen, that's a bad ball. I know it hit Jamar Chase in the chest, but he had to slam on the brakes for it to hit him in the chest. I think that ball's behind. I think that I think maybe Jamal thinks Jamar, sorry. I think I said Jamal before. Jamar, I think maybe thinks that he's trying to carry a slant to try to get some yards after the catch to try to maybe convert a third and long. And Brandon Allen is thinking, no, the coverage says sit down. And I don't know if there's a choice on that route or not for Jamar Chase, but that was what it looked like. It looked like he's trying to stop and then redirect to try to still get some yards after catch. 
on a ball that goes somewhere he's not expecting it to. The second one is an absolute hospital ball. So yes, yes, Jamar Chase should catch that football. Absolutely should catch that football, but he's going to get laid out. And um, that's a business decision. You know, you like to see him catch that pass, especially in a regular season game. I would also like to see Brandon Allen not throw that ball uh, or, or figure out. I did not think, yeah, we're going to go off the rails here a little bit. I did not think Brandon Allen had one of his finer games at all. He was bad. No, like he was one of, was one of the worst games I've seen from him. And I thought he was good enough last year to be the backup. I was very comfortable. I'm on record saying, don't mm-hmm. go get another quarterback. Brandon Allen's fine. He was not good in this game. He was not accurate. And I don't think his decision-making was particularly good on the last one. I'm much less concerned with the drop itself. And I've said this several times in several places, I guess. So I guess I'm a broken record a little bit, but less concerned with the drop itself than the way he gets off the press. This is, a, I think, a fourth-round pick, Benjamin St. Juiced out of Minnesota, who I actually really liked uh, in this year's draft, but not one of Washington's starting corners, and it's a good jam, and Jamar loses his balance coming off of the jam. And so I'm more concerned with, let's figure out a way to defeat the press a little bit more cleanly, a little bit more efficiently, so we get out of the break more quickly. You can see Brandon Allen, if you watch him on the play, kind of hesitate, kind of hitch. The ball, he has to hold it a little bit longer than he wants to because Jamar doesn't get out of his, out of the press fast enough. And so the timing is off and the ball placement is okay. Again, Jamar Chase should have caught the ball. All three of these are drops. But again, there, there's some mitigating factors here, in my opinion. And again, in this one in particular, more concerned about balance coming off the press and just beat the press more cleanly. And, and then we don't have this issue at all. You're probably catching that ball and getting the first down. Well, what's a little bit interesting to me is uh, what uh, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd had to say on uh, Monday when we, you know, Jamar Chase didn't had has not spoken yet. He didn't speak after the game, and I uh, did not speak Monday. He's a podium guy, and what that means is the team has to bring him uh, as one of its high-profile players to a podium situation. He's not going to speak after practice. Um, you know, off the cuff or ad lib or what have you. It's going to be in a more controlled setting. And um, we haven't had the chance to ask Jamar these questions, but certainly with T. Higgins uh, going through some issues, and he even admitted it on Monday that the game in Philadelphia he brought up where he had a what he called a drop. It was actually knocked away because he showed his hands too soon on the, the deep ball uh, that would have uh, won the Philadelphia game. I think uh, we all know the game we're talking about here. Uh, we all know that pass. Uh, it came up Monday. And, you know, what, what was interesting to me as I ramble here is both T and Tyler said, look, we know that he is a talented player, but he has got to focus on himself, not listen to the outside noise and focus on what he can do. And eventually he'll be able to catch the ball, but he knows he's got to make the plays. Yeah. I I am not one of the people that's concerned during the game, maybe after the second drop. I don't remember if it was after the second drop or the third drop I tweeted. I'm just going to go on the record right now and say, I'm not worried about Jamar chase. I I am on the record. And I wrote that after the game. I said, look, let's not get carried away. This is something that needs to be addressed now. So it doesn't become a bigger problem, but this guy is uh, to me still an elite route runner, even though he did get jammed a little bit on, on Friday, like you mentioned, and 
he can catch. Uh, he's got incredible breakaway speed once he once he separates. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, I don't know if I'm quite in elite route runner territory yet for Chase. It was not an area of strength for him at LSU. It's certainly something that has improved significantly, but he does have all of the athleticism and talent in the world to continue to improve that part of his game. And it is on an upward trajectory. I'd also say, and we've all talked about this, I think he's an incredibly hard worker and he's coachable from what I've understood. And he works well with Burrow. He works well with these coaches. He went to Troy Walters, according to Jeff Hobson on Saturday on their off day and said, Hey, let's go to work. I I don't want to drop passes anymore. He continues to work on the sideline with quarterbacks during special teams periods. And that's a very encouraging sign. Also, he was dominant at LSU against a lot of corners that are now in the NFL. That doesn't just go away. And he had great games against Alabama. Alabama and Auburn. And I mean, you name, I I guess I don't remember the specific games right now. It has been some time since I watched the tape. I just remember watching and thinking, I guess one thing that's noteworthy against Alabama is they kind of kept him off of Patrick Sertan's side of the field. So if those two Mm -hmm. ever... When those two eventually play against each other, that'll be fun to see. I think they only had a couple reps against each other in that game. Um, It was mostly Trayvon Diggs, I believe, in that particular contest. But week one, Cam Dantzler. Cam Dantzler did a really good job against him when they played in college. So if they go up against each other in that Minnesota game, that'll be fun. But again, regardless, incredibly productive. It's not something that's been historically an issue for him. And according to his teammates and his coaches, he's doing everything else right. And... You know, we're not getting what we're hearing about Jackson Carmen, where coaches are saying he needs to be more consistent. He needs to True. watch his weight. He needs to do that. You know, he needs to be a pro, essentially. And by the way, encouraged with Jackson Carmen staying after practice the last really two weeks, it sounds like, to get extra work. And I think that's a positive sign for his future as well. But yeah, I, I'm still fine with Jamar Chase. If this is still a problem in a month, then we might be talking about, okay, that was a rough rookie year. Can he, can he get it fixed? But right now there's so much time for him to get it right. I'm not worried. So I'll, I'll get, I'll take it even a step further, Jake, uh, speaking with Jake Lisko of locked on Bengals, uh, your daily Bengals podcast. Um, I'll take it a step further and I'll say that it's actually, a, it could be a very a good silver lining for this to happen at this point of his career, at this point of the, his rookie season, it gives sometimes when you have something mechanical to work on in camp, you can get it corrected pretty quickly, especially if you have the work ethic, like um, you and I have both noticed from Jamar Chase. Um, if you have that work ethic and it can be actually become a strength, you can be more cognizant and focused when the ball comes to you to make sure that you have proper hand techniques to grab the ball. For instance, on Monday, uh, I was taking some uh, video and I noticed uh, in the uh, back of the end zone route, it was a red zone seven on seven drill, kind of you know uh, menial in terms of its significance in, in the whole scale of practice. But on a throw over the middle from Joe Burrow, it was a dart. The ball got halfway through his hands. He gripped it, uh, had the presence to hold on to the ball, bring it into his body, get both feet down just in the back of the end zone. And I'm like, that's a little thing, but that is the kind of throw. It was a dart from Burrow. That is the kind of thing that can build a lot of confidence. And to me, uh, and to a lot of people who have watched football and watched rookies at the NFL level, uh, confidence is everything. 
And he shouldn't be lacking for it. And I don't know that he is. I think he's in his head a little bit. You could kind of tell when, you know, if you go slow it down, you look at the pictures of the drops, you look at how he played those drops, you could tell he's in his head a little bit. And, you know, we'll see if it continues. I bet they dial up a couple of targets for him against Miami while he's in the sure. game. You can probably count on that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know if it's anything to work on or worry about. It's certainly something to work on, and he is working on it. And as you say, it gives him something to focus on and maybe a little humility. You know, he came in, and one of the first things he said, which is which I loved, is I'm going to smash all their records. And now he's like, okay, i got to catch the football to do that. So, you know, I better do that so I can accomplish my goals. Yeah, I, we're on the same page here, Jake. I am not concerned whatsoever. I mean, look, you, you can be cynical about Bengal draft picks in the past, but I don't think they spend the fifth overall pick on a guy that that, that would have multiple receiving technical issues. And and I almost and they weren't they weren't that? at Ellis. They they just these weren't problems for him at LSU. This is right. this is something that's exactly. new and you can assume unusual. And I don't know about you, but I'm blessed to have a lot of hair on my head. I almost pulled half of it out when I heard the comparison to John Ross. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I know Ross had his issues here, but Jamar Chase is an infinitely more technically refined receiver than John Ross. Agree? Can we agree on that? Yeah, and and John Ross was really good. He he mostly had injury issues and then – Marvin Lewis never wanted him. <laughs> so he went into the doghouse right away. One big difference here is everybody wants Jamar Chase to succeed. Right. That, that's going to matter. I think that's a great point. I, everybody does want him to succeed. And you can tell, by the way, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins spoke about him yeah. on uh, Monday that they love the guy. They love Jamar. They think he's a hard worker. Uh, he shows up on time at practice. Uh, and he understands the playbook. Obviously, there's an advantage there because, uh, you know, he's worked with Joe Burrow before and he, you know, has an in, uh, inherent knowledge or institutional knowledge uh, of the system that they're running. So, um, you know, he does have that going for him. But look, I think his personality is that of uh, somebody who's going to be a hard worker. I'm not concerned about him. And at this point, after two preseason games, I don't think Bengal Nation should be either. I just think it's it's a result of this social media. Like everything is yep. everything is the end of the world or the opposite. It's it's like oh he had a bad practice, and and Paul writes you know Paul Paul's had these two articles on the Athletic. Joe Burrow you know he lifted his plant leg on a play. He was he was not confident in his plant leg. That quote goes viral, and suddenly the entire national media is like oh Joe Burrow they've ruined him. And then we have another one where Paul writes a piece and he says. Uh, you know, Jamar can't separate and suddenly, oh, Jamar can't separate. Take your victory laps. Everybody on draft Twitter who thought Jamar Chase couldn't run routes at LSU. You're right now because of one practice. I'm saying that that drives me crazy. People trying to, you know, you're confirming your priors and taking these victory laps on practice reports on training camp or on, on preseason games. Like let's wait, let's, let's get a big sample size here and see how these guys play over the course of a season. That's why I, you know, and I've told this to, to several people at Bengals uh, camp and practice that 
none of what we're, uh, very little of what we're seeing in practice is going to matter until we project it into regular season games, not even yeah. preseason games, but regular season games. And Lou Anarumo has brought this up on numerous occasions, mm-hmm. the defensive coordinator. He said, look, what we're looking for now is technique, especially tackling from his perspective. How well do they tackle? How well do they close out plays? Um, are they doing the little things that you need to do in a routine uh, play to execute? Okay. Um, once the games start and you have a lot of this elite skill being schemed both for and against, against like if you're Brian Callahan and Zach Taylor, how are we going to use um, you know, Jamar Chase? How are we going to use T. Higgins, who I love? I think he's had a great camp. I think he has looked very good, very strong in both preseason games. And how are we going to use Tyler Boyd? These are three great weapons along with Joe Mixon. Until these games, the regular season games start, we're not going to know all of those answers. Yeah, I agree. I'm very much looking forward to regular season games. I I need all 22 to come back because yeah. doing you everything on TV copy drives me crazy. I was going to ask you a question to compare something to your time covering the Patriots because yes. I feel like, please, but, do. but I don't. I just I don't remember the question. It's a uh, it's because I rambled. My mind. No. no. I, well, maybe I, I if I ramble long things. enough, it'll come back. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's just, it's actually one of the things I really like about your experience in New England and then coming to Cincinnati is you have this basis for comparison where Tom Brady and Bill Belichick were unquestionably the best of what they did for most of the time you were there covering them. And so you have a perspective covering the Bengals that most people who cover the Bengals do not have because a lot of the people that cover the Bengals are either in their first job in the NFL which I'm not knocking, you know, but they've been great reporters. Ben Baby, love his work. Kat Terrell, when she was here from ESPN. Coley Harvey before that. And now Charlie G, we got a little Northwestern pipeline. I'm a Northwestern guy. Um, so love Charlie G. All, all these guys. And I have a in. connection with Kelsey. I didn't know this. Oh, yeah. So um, obviously Kelsey, the uh, new Inquirer beat reporter, she uh, was at um, – NRG Stadium in Houston for Super Bowl LI, 28 to 3. And <laughs> 218 left in the third quarter, Dante Hightower. And I think she was telling the story that she was in an elevator on the way down, getting ready, you know, hopefully to watch, you know, the uh, she was covering the uh, Falcons and working yeah. with the Falcons and uh, getting a chance to, you know, cover the Falcons for a Super Bowl win. And then the Hightower strip sack happened and then dan quinn kind of forgot what to do when you're up uh by five points uh inside field goal territory you don't drop matt ryan back twice to throw a football um you know and and it all went wrong it all went sideways and i tell people this all the time that single game was the hardest game i've ever had to write because uh, everything turned on a dime yeah. and it turned on a dime in a Super Bowl that had, that became the first Super Bowl to go to overtime. And there were so many spinning parts that you really had to focus on slowing everything down when everything was a hurricane around you. Yeah. And that that's the one thing that I think I learned w- when you mentioned perspective of covering Brady and Belichick, um, you learned at the end of games to slow things down. Be very careful of what you're watching. Be very detailed. Um, y- yes, you need to write, but you need to watch what's going on as much as you possibly can. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because if you get lost in your story, you'll miss what's actually going on in the game and why, you know, the last five minutes of the game changes the whole context to your story. And I learned that. And, you know, I also learned that lesson. The second hardest game I ever wrote was Super Bowl 49. Go, Malcolm, go. Malcolm, go. And that, of course, was the uh, Russell Wilson uh, pick by Malcolm Butler at the one yard line. And that was also a harried finish with the, with the, you know, the scrum in the end zone, the Gronkowski fight with, uh, I forget who it was, the linebacker for Seattle uh, in the end zone that delayed everything. It was just chaos and working my way down because by that time we knew the Patriots were going to win and whatnot, but just working your way down, trying to keep your eye on what was going on in the end zone. It was just chaotic, but my whole point here is covering the Patriots. There was always something going on for a team that loved to control the narrative all the time. There was always something breaking out of, out of Foxborough. And you just learned to kind of slow things down, understand the story, talk to people as much as you could get perspective and then, and then write. Well, what I love about it, I like that. That that's just a good lesson for journalism in general. But what I really like about it, where I was going, was most of the people covering the Bengals right now have that that's their experience covering covering NFL football. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but they know the Bengals very very well, and the Bengals have not been successful. Whereas you're coming from covering a team that has been at the pinnacle of success, and now you can you you have that perspective of what that looks like, and it won't always look the same, obviously, and and you can see. Right. Okay, how different are things in Cincinnati where people tell horror stories about it being a cheap organization that doesn't want to win? And and you can, as the season goes on and as we see how Joe Burrow's career progresses, I, I think having that perspective will be really good for what you do as, as someone covering the team. So here has been my pet peeve about that complaint over 25 years of covering the Patriots. The issue has not been the Brown family being cheap. I don't think they are. I think the problem has been how they invest their money in, mm-hmm. administratively and operationally. Had very, there have been times, absolutely, where they've gotten into pissing matches with players. I mean, Carson Palmer, obviously, at the end was probably the primo example of that. Would you agree? Well, hopefully not Jesse Bates right now. I'll just well, I, let's, I don't let's not think, get into it, but hopefully no, not Jesse Bates. This will be a, a two-hour podcast if we do that, and I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but... The problem with the Bengals, from my outside point of view, comparing the Bengals to the Patriots, which is a Cincinnati native, I would always do, is how they spend their money and invest resources administratively and who's calling the shots. With the Patriots, there was no question who was calling the shots. We all know it was Bill Belichick. He was the leader, chief in charge of football, period. And yes, he uh, entrusted... Um, guys like Nick Casario to make uh, do a lot of work just below him in terms of football personnel, make a lot of administrative decisions. But it was always done with the understanding that Bill had the final sign off on any free agent trade draft. That's just the way Bill uh, did it. And when you have one voice and it's Bill Belichick and that competent running the operation, you have a more clearly defined function and you have uh, a line of success established and players want to come and play for that. And they will tolerate a lot of the discipline that Belichick instilled over the 20 years or 25 years or 20 years. And I think that's been lacking here. I think Marvin tried 
very desperately to instill a lot of that. And Marvin was as close to having Bill Belichick with the Bengals as I think you were going to get. But still, you had Mike Brown, you had Katie in charge, and you had Troy in charge. And those three voices trumped anything Marvin was ever going to say. And I, that was my impression on the outside. And and that's, let's not get too far into the, the family dichotomy of the Bengals here, but that's always been my primary complaint is these are not, I know Mike grew up with his dad being a football person, but let let the football people do the football job. Uh, right. I remember my 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 other Patriots related thing. Hopefully, last Patriots related thing I bring up. You said the words institutional knowledge, and that jarred my memory to one of my favorite. I think it was a Tom Brady quote. Tom Brady said something like, "If Aaron Rodgers was here and had the institutional knowledge that we have, he would be." He, I don't remember the end of the quote, but it was effectively like, "We we would he would be so much better than me here." And it just reminded me of this idea of Patriots institutional knowledge. And I always really liked that quote. Well, what he's, what he's talking about is players who study the playbook and work harder than anybody else in preparing for the upcoming game. And uh, go ahead. And Bill Belichick having the, a, a ridiculous encyclopedic knowledge Agreed. of everything to do with the game, I, yes. I assume. Yes, and and that is also uh, very much part of it. it yeah. Look, I'm a, a big Bill Belichick fan. I learned a lot about the game watching uh, watching the game, listening to his press conferences, uh, listening to his answers, why he's described certain plays and certain game situations the way he did, how he intertwined or um, you know applied football history to modern day football, how it was similar, how it was different, all of that. And, you know, it was kind of, it was a gift to have, you know, covered the guy and that that franchise for as long as I did. And, you know, it is some of that perspective is applicable here and some of it is not. And you yeah. and it's my job, you know, when I'm covering the Bengals to discern between the two, you know, the, the Bengals, <laughs> this is not a groundbreaking uh, information or a groundbreaking finding. The Bengals are not the Patriots. Okay, on many different levels, but that's okay. You know, not every team should be the same. And do I think, you know, people ask me this all the time. Do I think the Bengals can be successful? Do I think they can ever win a Super Bowl? Yes, I do. I firmly believe that it would be different. It'd be like Andy Reid. Nobody ever thought that Andy Reid, the guy who could never manage, a, you know, a two-minute drill, you know, couldn't manage the clock at the end of games. He eventually won a Super Bowl. I do think that eventually the Bengals, if they build up the right amount of roster uh, in the right places, they are capable of competing for and winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, that'd be great. It would be different than the Patriots. I, I agree with that. You know how Bill Belichick used to do the film sessions where he would actually break down game yes, tape? I don't know I if do. he still does it. Um, but I had the opportunity to talk with uh, Zach Taylor before they drafted Joe Burrow. The, um, Emily let us interview Zach the day before the draft that year. And I brought it up. I was like, Hey, you know how Bill Belichick does these? Uh, I, I asked him about two other coaches. First I asked him, you know, how Pete Carroll does the draft clues. And I think he thought I was trying to get him to tell me who he was picking, but really I just wanted to get his opinion on what he thought of Pete Carroll's weird draft clues. Cause I think that's insane that Carroll does that. And then I brought up, Hey, you know, how Bill Belichick does film breakdowns. You should do that. I, I don't know if uh, he said he used to do it for Miami actually. But he always had to worry about making a fool of himself because they had to change the terminology to not give away their terminology. And obviously it hasn't happened for the Bengals, but I would still love to see them do that. 
Yeah, I, I, I got to tell you, when I hear stories like that, I get overwhelmed. I, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't even imagine. It, it's hard enough evaluating if a player can play and whether or not you should spend draft capital on them to then take it to the next level or the level beyond that of making sure that you don't give away institutional secrets um, yeah. or, or your playbook. Uh, I, I can't even imagine. That's why, you know, I have the utmost respect for anybody who has an NFL front office job. I do. I just, it, it just requires so much dedication to one's craft and understanding intricacies um, that, you know, I, I can only speak to. I you could never love imagine. It. Yeah, I love you, it. Absolutely. If you're, well, I'm saying if you're a coach or you're in the front office, you have to love it too, because it's the NFL season is a real grind. I mean, you know that you cover the yeah. NFL, but it's it's there for the coaches and the players too. Real quick, uh, we were going to spend a little more time on this, and I do want to touch on it. One thing that Zach Taylor said on Sunday, I think, is very true. He said, "Right now, I actually don't think we have." And I'm paraphrasing, and I want to quote him, but I'm paraphrasing. He said that I think we're in a good position where we're building depth, not roster, uh, not position decisions. And I think with the exception of the right guard, I think he's right. I think that this team is pretty much set on its starters. And before we started this recording, you made the very apt point, are the starters good enough? That's what we're going to find out starting on September 12th. Yeah. And I have opinions, but uh, as I've said, I shouldn't be hypocritical about them, right? We should, we should give them the time to show what they're going to be in the regular season. Yes. And I, and I think that's only fair, but go ahead. Um, But I'm, I'm just very interested to see if the hype that we're building right now is, is going to play out in the regular season. The coaches have hype. So defensive side of the ball, getting a lot of hype. Coaches are really pleased with Trey Waynes, Cheeto, Abuzier, and Mike Hilton. They're really pleased with Von Bell and Jesse Bates. Probably reasonable. They're also really talking up these linebackers. And that's curious to me because everyone's telling me that Jermaine Pratt is taking this big step. But on Saturday, Friday, on Friday, Jordan Evans was a nickelback with the starters or the, yeah, he was the second nickel linebacker with the starters. Right. Is that, is that going to sustain itself? Does that mean Akeem Davis, Akeem Davis Gaither hasn't taken a step? Does that mean they don't trust Jermaine Pratt in the nickel? Let's see what happens in the regular season. I'm also going to be interested to see how they fill the Joseph Osai void because I, he, he, by the end of the season, if he hadn't gotten hurt, he might've been the best pass rusher on this team. I would agree with that. Um, I also think that there are going to be ways that they're going to have to adjust and account for that. I don't think they can lose too many. They don't have enough depth where they can lose too many Joseph size. That's where the depth is kind of, he's right. Taylor, the coaches are right that there is good depth at a lot of places wide receiver, great depth. I actually like the offensive line depth, but I think they needed one more starter. And we're seeing that at right guard where they're still apparently trying to figure it out. I like the interior defensive line depth, but the edge rusher depth was, was never something that I thought was, was quite good enough. And now we're seeing that happen where they've lost some guys to injury. Yes. But now we're talking about is Noah Spence or Darius Hodge going to get significant snaps in your nickel pass rush package. And that is a starter. Losing Joseph Osai is, is losing a guy that you're going to have on the field more often than not. So now is Sam Hubbard going to continue to kick inside with, you know, Cam Sample, 
Larry Ogunjobi going to stay out there? What what are those packages going to look like is the question. We'll see if Darius Hodge continues to get reps with the ones. But yeah, the, the question really is, a lot of places the depth is better. Corner's another one. Cornerback depth is better. Safety depth is um, probably a little bit better with Ricardo Allen, although last year Sean Williams was good safety depth. So um, the question is really, are these new starters actually good? For all of the talk that has been had and for the import or, or return of Frank Pollock and the coaching up of this offensive line where I think Deontay Smith is eventually going to be a starter if he continues on his trajectory because he moves really well and he's incredibly long and just looks like a good football player in the making. Is it going to be good enough? And that's where we'll have to see in the regular season because we're only going to see about 30 total snaps from these starters in all the preseason games combined. Darius Hodge uh, looked very good to me, um, but again, without the all 22s and without actually being there and watched, watching how the reason, one of the reasons you actually go to a game to watch is to watch the player in space and how they respond. And if they jump into a gap too quickly and they're way out of position and then the play gets around them. Whenever I describe what I just described, I, I think of Jamie Collins and he, and he got uh, booted out of new England the first time when Cleveland picked him up. Um, because he was jumping the pass and, and he was jumping way inside uh, too quickly, would get out of position. And that is something that actually uh, Zach Taylor spoke of on Sunday. Not so much critical. He just said that we want to make sure Darius also plays the run and sets the edge for the run well also. That's why it's important for a lot of fans watching these games when these rookies come on and they're unblocked in some cases, like Hodge was unblocked, and they get to the quarterback, it's great, and that's what they should do, but do they play the position properly? With Hodge, I don't care if he can play the run this year, though. Like, yes, Zach, you want your defensive lineman to be able to be three-down lineman. Darius Hodge is not going to be a three-down lineman for you. No, he's He's not. going to be a sub-package player, and if he can give you juice rushing the passer – then keep him on the team and get him on the uh, get him on the 45. But he's also going against mostly backups. Like his reps against the starters, he got stonewalled once when he was in for one of the one of the starting uh nickel rush packages against the Washington football team and the other time he was unblocked. He did have some wins against the backups, which is great, and there's there is some clear burst and some clear talent there, but I, I mean I I, I guess I like Darius Hodge and if he can give them something and I think he does give them something that now that Joseph Osai is hurt, they don't have, I, I think that he should make the team, but I'm not as excited for him as Bengals fans are where, you know, people are in my replies on Twitter saying, you know, Darius Hodge can replace Joseph Osai maybe. And I'm like, no, nah, dude, those are different players. Those, right. those are different players. They are. And I, and I'll grant you that. And you watch, you know, I respect your work quite a bit. Uh, Jake, um, and you watch a lot more film than I do. Uh, you remind me of uh, my colleague, Evan Lazar at CLNS Media in Boston. Um, he watched a ton of film and he was the one who <laughs> he was giving me a little grief on, uh, I think it was Sunday after the this past Sunday about um, Jamar Chase. And he said, you know, 
I kind of told you about Jamar. And I'm like, please, you know, he's still a, a, an elite receiver, dude. And he's like, yeah, I know. I'm just giving you shit. Um, but, but anyway, um, he watches a lot of film and he would make the same. He'd try to make the same point to a lot of Patriots fans about certain players on their roster. And I'm, I'm not even going to bring up an example because I can't think of one that's appropriate right now. But a lot of fans watch preseason games and they get so jacked up for the rookies that, hey, this rookie could come in and, and be an impact yeah. player right away. And what did we talk about about 15, 20 minutes ago about how you're not scheming in the preseason? You're not, all you're doing is looking for certain uh, techniques. And well, certain... Taylor even said it like they're just trying to see how their run game looks against different defensive fronts right now. They, they don't want to pass the ball at all in the preseason. Right. And, you know, I, I think that's probably, you know, that that's a that's a conservative but logical yeah. approach to take. Right. Well, they do have an entirely well, not entirely new, but it is a pretty different run game. Like they were doing a lot of zone stuff, but they're they were... doing wide zones. And my concern, a quick aside here. Uh, Jake is one of my concerns about the the outside run that I've seen in camp. I don't know if their line is athletic enough to get outside and do enough. I, I absolutely Jonah Williams is. I'm not concerned. Anybody who watched the Tampa game knows you know the ability for him to get onto the numbers and and block you know a defensive back. But but the rest of the offensive line, I just wonder about their athleticism and their ability to get out there and, and make wide zone blocks. I think Riley Reef is still okay there. I mean, he's not elite there, but I think he's still okay there. I think Trey Hopkins will still be okay there. Um, this is a place where going with the veterans who can pass block a little bit better is going to hurt them in some of the run stuff they want to do. Xavier or Quentin Spain. Let's start with Quentin Spain. Um, obviously not in incredibly fleet of foot. Solid well, pass. That, that's why he got the hold the other night. That's yeah, exactly which, why. Like may or may not have been a hold. I understand I, I, why it was grant called. That. But, I understand um, that. But he was on the yeah, run, he, out of position with his arms extended. Yeah. That's he, why he had I got a the fistful hold. of collar. And um, while a lot of times that doesn't get called when you end up extended because you can't quite get into the body of the guy, that, that's right. going to happen. So right. that, that's where I think Deontay Smith is eventually going to win a job here. And I think Jackson Carmen is trending in the right direction. We'll see how that continues, but I thought he was actually really good against Washington football team. And he should be much more athletic than Xavier Suofilo. Mike Jordan, by the way, also more athletic than some of these other options of guard, but it's really a trust question. Do you trust him in pass protection? And it doesn't necessarily mm. seem like the coaching staff does, although he has been good in the preseason. It looks like he has improved. Uh, I'm just not sure if it's enough. I don't know. And you know what? And I got a bit of beg ignorance here. I don't know enough about the X's and O's of the offensive line play to know whether or not Xavier Suofilo is better all around in both the run and pass game and pulling and, and getting outside than Michael Jordan is. Michael Jordan, like you said, might be quicker and ability uh, have an ability to pull and get to the outside for the wide zone runs. But I'm just not convinced that he's strong enough and gives you what Sula Fila does as a pass protector. And if you're going to have Joe Burrow dropping back conservatively, I don't know, 35, 40 times a game. We looking at that. Sure. Right. That's a lot of snaps. That's a lot of dropbacks. Um, yeah, that's always a concern with Jordan is, and I, I have a 
a friend that, you know, he was an offensive lineman and he, he compares in some ways, Mike Jordan to longtime Bengal center, Russell Bodine, who was a fan punching bag, of course. And, uh, the, the issue is he'll, he'll be fine a lot of the time. And then he'll have one catastrophic drive, killing game, killing badly timed and old <laughs> or, or just getting crushed in a pass blocking rep and, and getting your quarterback killed, which unfortunately happened. Right. And so, um, you know, he worked with Willie Anderson in the off season. He does look better. Like he legitimately does look better, but these are preseason games. And, you know, the, the, the thing that he's always had in his favor is he's young. This is about the time when he should have been competing for a starting job for the first time in the NFL. And I think he's getting real NFL coaching for the first time right now. So these are the things that are in Mike Jordan's favor. Uh, but the, the history is a lot to overcome for him. It is. Um, and I will tell you this, looking at Billy Price after practice on Monday, he looks bigger and stronger. I mean, I don't know about his footwork. Um, if his footwork matches what he was able to do in the offseason, he he does look better. I mean, he looks stronger uh, up top, and I think that's a good sign for, for the Bengals in terms of depth behind Trey Hopkins. Yeah, I think Billy does look a little bit better to me in the preseason. There's still some signs of some of the old technique issues, getting a little too aggressive, getting a little bit over his toes and, and lunging a little bit. You'll see him drop his eyes and – try to jump set sometimes. I think I, I've seen less of that, but it's also relatively limited sample size. But Billy is a guy that, you know, coming in, I always thought he would be okay. I, I didn't love the pick. I, Frank Ragnow was notably picked one pick earlier and the Bengals did want him, we all believe. Um, but I, I always thought he'd be okay. Not Not really what we've seen from him. And he's always been incredibly strong. So if he looks stronger than... Uh, that's uh, certainly a good sign. We've touched on quite a bit, and I really do appreciate your time, Jake. We've gone about 30 minutes over what I would told you we were going to be, but <laughs> that's what that. happens when you get two guys talking Bengals that are very um, emotionally and professionally vested, shall we say, in <laughs> said uh, Stripes franchise. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of the Jungle War podcast. You can download it anywhere you download your most popular podcasts, including Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify. I want to thank our terrific guest, Jake Lisko of Locked On Bengals. That is the only daily podcast covering your Cincinnati Bengals. Follow him on Twitter. Where, where can people follow you on so I don't get it wrong? Yeah, it's just at Jake Lisko. Easy would, enough. And all one word, L-I-S-C-O-W, correct? That's right. Yep, nailed it. All right, Jake. Thanks so much. For Jake Lisko, I'm Mike Petralia. Keep that jungle roar.